Twisted Storytellers is brought to you with support from Henry Ford Health Systems. We share a special affinity with Henry Ford Health Systems because healing is at the core of what we do. From WDET, you're listening to Twisted Storytellers. I am your curator and host, Satori Shakur. She did wacky things, too. Like, when she would make a wrong turn, she would just turn into the, someone's driveway that we didn't know, take the time to roll down the window and yell, You got company! And then she'd turn around. She was funny. That's the voice of Angela Youngblood. She's a magical woman. Before she lit up our stage at the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers, she had been coming faithfully to every show we had as a fan. So finally, I grabbed her and insisted that she get up on the mic. Here she is, Angela Youngblood. When my parents first told us we were moving to Kalamazoo, we laughed because it didn't seem like a real place. It sounded made up, like out of a storybook or something magical, and we didn't want to go. We were kids, and we didn't want to leave our friends and change schools, so we were pretty negative about it. And my mom, she did everything she could to try to get us excited. She would sewed us matching red sundresses that we could wear to our first trip to Kalamazoo. That didn't work. So she promised us a cat, and we were kids, so it worked. So she bought us a kitten, and we named the cat Furry Socks. My sister wanted to name the cat Socks because it had white patches on each paw that looked like socks. I wanted to name her Furry because she had fur. (laughs) So after some intense negotiations, my mother, the peacemaker, got us to compromise, and we named the cat Furry Socks. We ended up just calling her Kitty, though. In 1979, my mom, my dad, my sister, and my baby brother, and Kitty all moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan from Kentucky. And those first few years, my mom had been right. It was magical. At the center of that magic was my mom. She was spontaneous and fun. She celebrated everything. She would uh, bake a cake just because it was Tuesday. She um, had parties for our half birthdays. She would sing and dance. She loved Kenny Rogers and the Pointer Sisters. She had been a majorette in high school, and she loved to entertain us with her old routines. And it didn't matter where we were, in the kitchen, in the backyard, in the front yard, she'd have a baton. And if you were really lucky, she would reenact the Orange Bowl parade that she marched in in 1966. (laughs) And I loved it. I would sit on the grass on my stomach with my chin resting in my hands, just beaming up at her. I was proud. I loved her. And she was good at everything. She sewed all of our clothes and all of our Halloween costumes. And again, I would just beam up at her while she sang and sewed. One year, she sewed me the best damn Tweety Bird costume you ever saw. (laughs) While the other kids were trick-or-treating in their store-bought plastic Star Wars costumes, I was strutting my stuff. (laughs) And through the headpiece, because there was a headpiece, and the beak... I said, yeah, I'm Tweety. My mom made it. I was proud. I loved her. Everybody loved her, especially kids. She choreographed a fifth-grade dance number to Thriller that I think people still probably talk about. (laughs) 
She did wacky things too. Like when she would make a wrong turn, she would just turn into someone's driveway that we didn't know, take the time to roll down the window and yell, you got company? And then she'd turn around. (laughs) She was funny. But as we got older and as she got older, I started to notice a few differences, a few changes. She started to get sad. And so she went to the doctor and she got pills and she took them. And then my mom and dad started fighting all the time. She went back to the doctor and got more pills. And then my dad left. And she got very sad and took a lot of pills. And she cried all the time to anyone, to everyone, to us, to our friends, to our neighbors, to their friends, to a poor man who um, knocked on our door to sell encyclopedias. He was there for three hours. And she cried for three hours. I remember I leaned in to listen, and he was like, it's going to be okay. I promise. It'll be okay. And I'm thinking, what does he know? But he did give her a big discount on encyclopedias. And he finally got out of there, and she displayed those blue encyclopedias in our dining room. Even though that made her happy for a moment, nothing much else did. She was sad. And at this point, she was more mess than magic. But we just went along for the ride. And I didn't know if this was normal because I was from a magical household. I didn't know what normal was until one day I had a breakthrough watching Donahue. You see, I was what they call a latchkey kid. When I was 12 or 13, my brother and sister and I, we went to different schools and I got home um, before my mom got home from work. And I would hang out with my best friend, television. I had a stellar after-school lineup. I would go get my snack, and I would sit down, and I would watch the Spaldings on Guiding Light. And then I would get caught up in the quarter mains on General Hospital. I would switch the channel back and forth. And at 4 o'clock, I watched Oprah, and 5 o'clock was Donahue. The guest on Donahue's show that particular breakthrough day was Patty Duke. And she was talking about um, her life in Hollywood, And she was talking about how happy she was and how she loved making everyone laugh. She was the life of the party. And everybody loved her, and she was happy. And then she went on to talk about some days she couldn't get out of bed because she was so sad. And she was being mean to the people that loved her. She was pushing everybody away. She talked about how she would buy so many clothes but never wear them. And as I was eating my Lucky Charms, I thought, yeah, I know this life. That's normal. That's my normal. That's my mom. So I was frantically trying to figure out how to call into Donahue because you remember that people used to call in. And so I was like, I'm going to talk to Donahue and I'm going to say, Donahue, I know this. This is my life. What do I do? What do I do, Donahue? Help me. And I was 12 or 13. I thought he'd take me seriously, but I couldn't find the number. So I didn't call. I didn't do anything. But a seed had been planted that day that my life may not be normal, that my mother was not so normal. It was the first time I heard the word bipolar. Life went on pretty much the same. My mother moved from house to house, doctor to doctor, man to man, and we just kind of went along for the ride, my sister, my cat, and my brother. But then my, um, there was a little bit of magic that came back, but it wasn't for us. I would do her hair when she would get ready to go to the bar, and she would tell me about all the magic that was going to happen. All the men she was going to dance with, the people that she was going to make laugh, and it was going to be great. 
And I tried to wait up for her. I would hang out with my best friend again, TV, and I would watch Miami Vice and Hunter. I don't know. Um, she us- I usually fell asleep before she got back. And again, this just went on. She managed to stay working. She would switch jobs a lot. And my sister moved away to college. And then my dad, who had still lived around there, he moved away to Nebraska, and he got remarried. And they were going to have a baby. And I was happy for him happy when people are happy, but they told us, you know what, it's early in the pregnancy, we don't want you guys to tell your mother, because we're not sure exactly how she'll react, she's a little unpredictable, and so my brother and sister and I kept it to ourselves, but I wrote about it in my diary, because I had to get it out, I didn't know my mom read my diary, so the day I came home and discovered that she had found out about the new baby from me, I had never seen my mother angrier or sadder or crazier. She was ripping pages out of my diary and ripping them up. She was hitting walls and kicking and flailing and wailing. And it was all directed toward me. So my younger brother said, just go. Just get out. Let her cool down. So I left and I ran and found a friend to stay with and um, let her calm down. And I went back, though, because it was my home. I was where my brother was. My cat was still there. I needed to go back. So I went back, and my brother said, I can't take it anymore. It's too much mess. So he decided to go live with my father in Nebraska, and I was happy for him, and I thought, maybe I should go too. But my mom said, no, you can't. Without your child support, I cannot pay my bills. So I stayed. And then one day she came home and said, well, I've met a man And she was always saying that, so I didn't think much of it. But uh, then she said, I'm going to marry him. And she did. Two weeks later, they got engaged, and two months later, they were married. And then she came home and said, well, you're going to need to find a place to live because I'm moving to California. Coming up, Angela Youngblood learns self-care. This is Satori, and we're going to take a quick break from the story to hear from Henry Ford Health Systems, who has honored us with coming on as our sponsor for Twisted Storytellers podcast at WDET. And today, uh, we're going to hear from a wonderful physician, and I've had a wonderful time being with her, Dr. Alexia Norwood. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We believe storytelling conveys a truth, it conveys a humanity, and it helps us balance out um, our well-being. Oh, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, uh, I think healthcare is, is all about storytelling, hearing from the patients to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and what their ailments are. That's how our diagnoses are even made, so that we can do the right procedures, do the right care. So for us, it's all about you, all about the patient, and it starts with us being able to hear their story and entrusting us with their care, which is why for us, every patient and every life is important, and it's all for you. Thank you, Dr. Norwood, for being here with us. We're very excited to have Henry Ford Health System as our sponsor. And if you want to know more about Henry Ford, just visit henryford.com. And back to our story.
But it, it wasn't horrible. I, I actually felt free. After a few weeks, I felt free. I felt free to be 16. I felt free to stop worrying about whether or not my mother was mixing alcohol in her pills, whether or not she was bringing creepy men home from the bar, whether or not she would keep this job. I relaxed. I got better grades. I graduated and went on to college, which is something she thought I would never do and made it very clear. So I was proud to prove her wrong. It felt great. And after college, and I was a good kid, I didn't do drugs except for two weeks in college. <laughs> but after that, I stayed pretty clean. <laughs> and I uh, would spend a lot of time in the self-help aisle at bookstores, watched a lot more Oprah. I emailed Dr. Phil a few times. I'm still searching. But, um, but I was good. And then I met a man, I fell in love, and we got married. And then I had my first panic attack. And I thought, uh-oh, what is that? Because I did notice a few similarities, you know, with my mom. I was high and low, I was loud, it's funny, I loved to dance. But I pushed those thoughts out of my head because I was in love, and my husband promised he would never leave me, and he said that he found my push-pull dance kind of interesting and exciting. So I felt safe. And we had four kids. And I loved being a mom to little kids. I would sing, and I would dance, and I would bake cakes and make things magical. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm really like her. And I started to get a little panicky. But again, I pushed it aside because my childhood was magical, and if I could make their life magical, I would do that. But as they get older and as I get older, the fear gets bigger because I am afraid. Because I don't know what that part of life looks like. I don't know if there's any magic in that part. I get afraid that I'm like her. I get afraid that a switch is going to go off in my head and I will become her and I will leave. And I don't want to leave. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to be in their life. I don't want to leave myself. Because I have a lot of love in my life now. My mother's back in my life. She moved back to Kalamazoo a few years ago, divorced, still a mess. Still pretty much the same, doctor shopping and whatnot. Um, but I thought, you know what? I live in Rochester. She's in Kalamazoo. I'm close enough. I can help out now. So, and I could handle it because I survived her growing up. So I could handle her insults and her meanness. And I just, so I would go over and help when the doctor called and I would help her through her withdrawal or whatever was going on. And I promise you, when I walked into the hospital room, she looked at me just like Kitty did. You? Really? You're the one that they sent to save me? <laughs> because I think she preferred my sister and brother too. But, but I didn't care because I could take it. And I just thought this was how it's going to be. This was my life until she outlived us because she told me once that mean people live forever. So I believed her. But then I got a call a little while ago, and she said, well, I'm moving to Alabama. That's where she's originally from. And I thought maybe I would feel free again, but I didn't. I felt horrible. I felt all of those unwanted, unlovable, rejected feelings coming back. Like I didn't do enough. I wasn't enough. I couldn't help her enough. I could never bring the magic back. It just flooded over me. Because we know a lot more about mental illness now. We do. I mean, it's not just one guest on Donahue. It's everywhere. Celebrities are having meltdowns everywhere. 
Um, and reality shows are based on it, and I'm watching all of those because TV is still my best friend. But we know more, and that's wonderful. But it has a flip side, I feel like. I feel like we all want to be labeled more or get a diagnosis, and then we want a drug, and then we want to medicate it, and then we want to think that we're better. And that's not how mental illness works, and I know firsthand from watching it. How it works is... It's a lifetime of struggle and setbacks, finding the right medicines, dealing with the wrong medicines. When I heard the news of Robin Williams passing, I wasn't surprised because I know someone that's brought that kind of magic, probably teeters on the edge of darkness. I had a first front row seat to something like that. And I know the pain that they feel. I see how hurtful being suffering from a mental illness can be. But I also know how painful it is to be a family member, how confusing and how frustrating and how it shapes you and how it makes you afraid. Even if you don't suffer from a mental illness, you watch every time you laugh or every time you sing and dance, you think, maybe... And here's the thing. I don't have an answer. This story does not have a happy ending. I'm waiting for Donahue to come in here right now and tell me, we got your call. I can help. Or maybe even Dr. Phil and Oprah. I mean, a dream team to help me know what to do. Because right now, all I can do is share my story and connect with other people that might have a family member, that might understand the pain and the confusion. And I can feel the feelings and not be afraid and face that fear and choose to have less mess and more magic. Angela Youngblood is a freelance writer and videographer. She's also a co-producer and director of the storytelling show, Listen to Your Mother. After Angela Youngblood told her story in 2014, she was bombarded by audience members who couldn't wait to share with her their own stories about their family members who suffered from mental illness. Angela was like aloe vera for them. If you're feeling our show, please do us a favor and write us a review on iTunes. This is the single most helpful thing you can do to ensure our sustainability as a show. Thank you. Twisted Storytellers is a production of WDET. The show is produced by Zach Rosen, sound design, mix and theme music by Sam Bobian. Other music from today's show comes to us from our friends at Ghostly Songs. Special thanks to Shelby Jopi, Laura Herberg, and Connor Anderson. I'm your host, Satori Shakur. Thanks to our sponsors, Henry Ford Health Systems. If you have 50 cents, $2 or a million, please donate. Donate your money to WDET.org. And what that'll do is keep us on the air. It'll keep us bringing these stories to you from Detroit Voices, the real thing. This is how you do it. Support our show. Go to WDET.org. And we thank you for every single penny and mostly for you listening. We understand how generous just listening is. So thank you. See you next time.